The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Muller She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, my returning guest is Democratic strategist Simon Rosenberg. I love him. He's totally optimistic. His feed, his Twitter feed is amazing. He was the lead strategist uh, for the DCCC when Democrats flipped the House in 2018. He's the founder of New Democrat Network, NDN.org. It's a liberal think tank. I am really excited to talk to him because I think he's going to make me feel a little bit better today. But before we get into it. The Start Me Up podcast is independent, supported by listeners, and it's woman-run. A great big thank you to everybody who supports the show. If you enjoy today's podcast, visit patreon.com slash startmeup. Check out all the tiers. I do include a tier with a much shorter intro and no ads. You can hear the free shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they're followed up by What's Up, a show just for patrons where I talk about anything that comes to mind. It's a little more personal, kind of like my online diary. Visit patreon.com slash startmeup, and don't forget forget you can find start me up on itunes stitcher and wherever podcasts are found please enjoy my conversation with simon rosenberg welcome back to the show simon it's good to be here thanks for the opportunity well thank you once again for your optimistic twitter feed which we're going to talk about the whole show um but first i have to say (laughs) i'm noticing that you're a little bit more profane now and i'm loving it (laughs) (laughs) well we're getting closer to election day yes uh, we're all getting getting punchy now and uh you know we used to joke there are three campaign food groups right mcdonald's pizza and coffee and and so that's where we all are yeah i know well i've got you know the anxiety (laughs) is just percolating and i do go to your twitter feed often so I can bring myself back down. Um, okay, so first what I'm going to start with is you had a conversation with Bro- Bill Crystal, and I want to hear all about it. But before I want to hear all about it, I just have to say the funny little story where one day I was talking to my dad, who was an ABC News cameraman up until, I don't know, the late 2000s. He covered presidents, and he went on presidential campaigns. He was often at the Pentagon and the White House. So like, I know he has seen people like Brian Karen around, Karen around so I'm talking to him, and I notice Bill Crystal followed me. And I went, holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> and he was, like, freaked out. He's like, what? And I'm like, Bill Crystal just followed me. And I, I just couldn't believe it, you know, because I had never really liked Bill Crystal. And then, of course, with the Trump years, it was like, oh, my God, I'm agreeing with Bill Crystal now with everything. And not with everything, but uh, with most things. And so Bill and I had a little back and forth, and I sent him a picture of my father, and he, he's like, yes, I do remember him. I don't think they ever really had conversation, but I just thought that was a funny little story that I was going to start. But I do want to know, I know you had a conversation with him, and he's an, you know, anti-MAGA, so what was that all about? Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, the real uh, thrust of the conversation is that we have an opportunity as Democrats, I think, to reimagine the way that we organize our politics. I mean, in our if we were living in a parliamentary democracy, 
we would have the crystal Liz Cheney party would have split off from mm-hmm. MAGA. They would have be, you know, eight to 10% of the country. And then they would have come into a coalition with us and we would have given mm-hmm. Liz Cheney a cabinet seat and yeah. Bill Crystal would have worked in the white house. And we just don't have, that doesn't happen in our system. And I think that we have to think about how to take this, uh, we used to call them never Trumpers. And, you know, the, as Bill Crystal described himself, a future former Republican and, and, and create, <laughs> expand our coalition. We need to expand our coalition and give them a seat at the table so they're part of our politics, even though they used to be on another team, but mm-hmm. now they're on our team. Mm-hmm. And we also have to try to bring along the voters that are, you know, that follow them, because mm-hmm. that's the way I think over time we're really going to defeat MAGA, which is that we have to create a coalition, a pro-democracy coalition that gets up to 40, you know, 54, 55, 56 percent of the vote mm-hmm. um, and and is strong enough and durable enough to keep denying MAGA power. over a long period of time and so what i've been doing is i've been reaching out to a lot of these folks who i describe as being refugees from a country Mm -hmm. where they now realize they can never go home again and Mm -hmm. they're starting to really think differently about how they work with democrats and i was on Mm -hmm. michael Steele's podcast the Mm -hmm. former rnc chair i I, matt lewis who is a conservative who has a podcast bill and i are talking Frequently, I'm a very good close friend of Joe Trippi, who, as you know, works at the Lincoln Project. And Mm -hmm. I think that we part of my message to all of you is that we need to create a seat at our table for these folks. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, Bill Crystal is welcome at my dinner table anytime. Mm -hmm. Glass of wine and good meal. They're part of our family now and we've Mm -hmm. got to make space for them um, in order, at least for now, right, to create common cause, to build a, a, a super coalition to defeat MAGA over time. And that's and so I've been trying to really promote Bill uh, because I think he's courageous and shown um, a lot of, uh, you know, courage to take on his own party as he has, uh, particularly given his whole history with the Republican mm-hmm. Party. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm trying to elevate up, I think, a group of people that I think are being showing enormous amounts of political courage um, and trying to help Democrats think differently about how we do our politics going forward. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that um, as far as these never-Trumpers are concerned, obviously while Trump was president, it was like, okay, well, how are they going to behave in a, in a, with a Democratic president if we can save democracy? And obviously these people, you know, I don't agree with so much of what Liz Cheney stands for, um, but obviously we're both on the same side of democracy and you know not liking coups and stuff like that but it's like they have shown us now where they are so it's not like they went back to the party there are some never trumpers obviously who are fine with the republican party as it is um and those are the people that i was concerned about during those trump years um but clearly obviously bill there's a number of them have stayed and joe walsh have uh stayed on the side of democracy and so there, there is something to that. And it's difficult because, yeah, I, I can, you know, when I was listening to you, I was thinking in terms of just myself and what listeners might be thinking. And it's just, you know, but, but Liz Cheney doesn't believe in, a, you know, in abortion and this and that. And it's like, well, we, we, we can understand that she is not going to legislate, in, you know, I mean, no, she's not going to. But I mean, if she still had that ability um, she's not going to legislate the way that's going to, you know, it's going to make us happy, Democrats. But at the same time, she is willing to fight for the th- that fight. And I think that's so important and we have to remember it. And yeah. 
it's, yeah, it's and difficult. I think, and I think for your listeners, what I'm what I'm arguing here is that we have to think differently now, mm-hmm. right? We have we're in a different moment. And if you think about Ukraine, there are lots of political parties in Ukraine, but now they're all united to mm-hmm. defeat a common enemy in mm-hmm. Russia. And we have to think, you know, we have to start thinking of our politics where Bill Crystal and and uh, and Liz Cheney are now on our team. Mm-hmm. And and that just doesn't we don't really have a mechanism. Our politics doesn't really work that way. Um, it would be far easier, as I said, if we lived in a parliamentary democracy, right. there would be a normal mechanism for that. And that's why I think we have to be creative here. Mm-hmm. And I and I, you know, and, and the other thing is what's important to recognize that it's not just Joe Scarborough and you know, Joe Walsh and, you know, the folks, the people at the top, um, it's happening all across the country. I mean, you, there was a Washington Post story a few days ago that I contributed to where they talked about Republican defections against MAGA candidates in Arizona and Nevada and Michigan and Texas and Pennsylvania. They're starting to become, in political science terms, a permission structure for people who are Republicans but who aren't MAGA to start breaking from the party. Mm -hmm. And we have to strengthen that permission structure. You know, you're seeing Beto O'Rourke, for example, producing extraordinary um, organic content in his race where every few days they've got somebody they met at one of his rallies who goes onto camera and says, hey, I was a Republican, Mm -hmm. I voted for Abbott, but now I'm voting for Beto, and here's why. And those kinds of things, the way it works in social science and political science is you know, if you if there's a group of people over there that you kind of agree with, and there's five of them, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. If there's 500 of them, that's another mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And what we have to do is we have to promote this idea that this is a growing movement in American politics, and it's growing across the country. And it's got people in Washington. It's got Liz Cheney. It's got all these other people. You know, and and that you know this is because that we need the that movement to get bigger and stronger, yeah. and to align with us to be able to peel off three, four, five percent of the yeah. national vote to come with us temporarily, right, in order to deny MAGA power. And I just I just think I wish we had been more purposeful around this uh, as a family. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's part of the reason I'm doing these kinds of events with these folks, which is to begin this conversation, to show respect and admiration. As you remember, I started the podcast by talking about how much I respect and admire Bill's courage for mm-hmm. what he's done. Um, even though if we don't agree on every issue. And and I think they deserve a lot of um, uh, cheerleading for the, you know, the courage that they've demonstrated to take on their own party like they have. And that's a really good point. You know, I may have definitely had uh, differences with Crystal since he's a never-Trumper. I absolutely see that he is on our side. Um, you know, and then yep. I, I'm also a big mouth and I have to be a big mouth sometimes. So I was, you know, if I, if I disagree, I'm going to say something and I'm not going to hold back, but I appreciate, I mean, he followed me and he's been respectful toward me. So I, I have to appreciate that. And I totally agree with what you're saying. And I, and I think about like, maybe should I have him on the show? And then I think, is he, does he think she's an asshole for what she said to me on Twitter, but he didn't unfollow me. So there you go. Um, before we get into all the numbers and the fun stuff, I just want to ask you, you know, we're seeing a lot of people still taking that traditional historical route, making that prediction that the House is going to win, that's period, amen. And, you know, I'm, I'm seeing people like you, there's other people, Christopher Boozy, um, you know, even in some cases, Nate Silver, who are saying, look, the House is in play now. So what do you have to say about those traditional pundits and people listen to them and they get nervous? So, you know, what is yeah. your take on that? 
Yeah, so listen, I, I think that a lot of political analysts were went way out on a limb about this being a red wave year in the spring. Um, and became invested in being right. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is not this is not uncommon in anything that all of us do in our lives, right? Where, mm -hmm. you know, you want to be right if you've made an argument or a prediction. And I think that the that part of what has happened in the political discourse is that a lot of political commentators, frankly, have been embarrassed yeah. um, by how much the election had sort of defied the traditional contours of a midterm election. And of course, it was going to defy midterm contours. I mean, think about what's happened in the last couple of years, right? Mm -hmm. You had COVID, which itself alone creates extraordinary distortions, mm -hmm. right? Then you had January 6th, you had the radicalization of the Republican Party, an extreme Supreme Court, the ending of Roe, the abortion restrictions, Trump stealing secrets, Trump, just Trump being Trump, right? And all of these things are unprecedented. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that somehow the traditional physics of politics could withstand the all of these challenges was i think i think actually was the risky position to take hmm. not the not the smart position and right. i think you know and so what i've been arguing as you know because we discussed it last time was that the data just didn't support nor did frankly to me common sense that this election would follow traditional you know political physics and mm -hmm. up until very recently i don't think it has i mean there's certainly this week the polling has been there's been more negative polling, you know, more polling for Democrats showing us losing a little bit of ground than any of us would be comfortable with. Mm -hmm. There's also polls that don't show that. So it's not a universal finding yet. Mm -hmm. And I can tell your listeners that, you know, I've been on the phone I, with, you know, people who have access to the inner sanctum polling in both the House and the Senate, and they're not seeing any big shift. Hmm. And in fact, I just went through with somebody the most recent round of polls in the House races um, which I can't get into details about because they're private, but they were fine. I mean, we were winning some races we didn't think we were going to win. We were hmm. losing some races we thought we were going to win, but there wasn't a trend line yet. And, uh, you know, and I was out in Las Vegas last week and I, for a speaking gig, and I went over and spent time with the Cortez Masto race. And, you know, they think they're up two to three points. And if you look at, you know, just in the last week, there have now been two polls in Nevada showing her ahead. Um, and so, you know, I think the way that we should all look at this is this is a jump ball election. It's really close. There comes a point where polling just can't be this precise to really tell us what's happening. Mm -hmm. I think we're all asking polling to sort of do something it can't really do because mm -hmm. it can't it can't be precise. It mm -hmm. just can give you a range. Right. It's a sketch. Yeah. It's a sketch. It's not a detailed portrait. Um, and we're asking it to do more than it can really do. And I think that everyone now, what I, my advice to everyone would be is, this is a very close election. It's very close to the end, which means it's going to be close. Mm -hmm. We all have to do our work. But the other thing to start paying attention to, the new data, is we're now getting a mountain of early vote data <laughs> and, and vote by mail data. Because mm -hmm. this is a new thing, right? We didn't have this many people voting this yeah. early. I mean, almost 5 million people have already voted wow. in this election, which is an enormous number. And and we're starting to see patterns, and I would encourage people to go to a website called uh, Target Early, which is run by Tom Bonnier, a good friend of mine, um, who I've been promoting relentlessly over the last couple of months because <laughs> he's had tremendous. Um, he has a lot of data. He's a data guy, yeah. and and you know what he just put, he published a new site today that's going to update every day all the early vote data, and it has early vote data from two years ago, four years ago, meaning you can see in each state how the early vote is playing out against that state two years ago and four years ago as demographic breakouts, age, and all that stuff. 
And here's what we know. What we know is that a lot of people, you know, people are voting at a much higher rate than they were in 2018, mm -hmm. which is great. Yeah. Because we want a high turnout election. And also that the electorate is today more democratic than it was either at 2018 or 2020 at this time, which is also great and encouraging. And, and then the second piece is that in a lot of the battle or in a bunch of the really important battleground states it, where we have enough data for it to be meaningful, right? Mm -hmm. Georgia, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, we are running ahead of 2020 and 2018 and all of those battleground wow. states, meaning that the electorate that is voting is more democratic so far than it was in 2018 and 2020 in really critical states like Georgia, Michigan, Ohio, yeah. Pennsylvania, Virginia. Now, this isn't predictive, mm -hmm. but certainly you would rather us being up than down. Oh, right. right, yeah. And so, you know, let's take the win here. I yeah. mean, this is a good sign. And uh, and I'm very encouraged and, and by what I'm seeing, to be honest, as a political analyst, I, we just didn't know. You never know, right? You just yeah. don't know what's going to happen. And um, But we just have to hope that this is a sign that the anti-MAGA majority that, that voted the Republicans out in 2018 and 2020 is going to show up again and save the country once again. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, I have more questions for you, but first we have to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a second. Oh, hey, it's Kimberly, the host of the podcast you're listening to right now. Are you my patron on Patreon? If not, it's really easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash start me up. Check out all the tiers. I do a patrons only show after every free show and I talk about whatever. It can get crazy in there. So again, just go to patreon.com slash start me up. Check out the tiers and become my patron today. Thank you. Okay, we're back. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you had tweeted out that the favorability. No, is it favor? It's uh, electorate is more. Okay, so the people who are voting are more democratic. So in yep. 2018, you have the Democratic vote at 44. Now, was this the total vote or is this at the same? This is the vote at the same time. Okay. So it's apples to apples, right? And, gotcha. and okay. it, you know, and that's, and you can play around with the data. There's a lot to play with, but that's, yes, it's at this time, 20 days out. Okay. So 20 days out in 2018, it was 44% Democratic. 2020, it was 54.5, and today it's 55.7. So that is right. that's incredibly encouraging, and especially because, I mean, I remember that first part, uh, the first few, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes into when the polls were closing, and um, oh, that guy, Serpent Head, whose name Carville, Carville came on <laughs> and said, <laughs> I can always remember Serpent Head. Anyway, uh, he came on and said that, you know, we're going to lose. And he was so wrong, and I'm so grateful. And I bring that up a lot because it scared the shit out of me. And now we're looking at um, more than 10% from that time. So that's well, awesome. So let's talk about this for a sec because okay. this, is, this is really important for your listeners to understand what this means because there's everyone's getting all this data thrown at them. It's very confusing. But what's important about this is that it, it means that, um, you know, we won the 2020 election by four and a half points. Mm -hmm. and, and that was a good election for us, right? The Senate flipped, we won the presidency. And, you know, this, and we're doing better hmm. in this election than we did in 2020. Wow. And, and so at this point, now things can change, of right? Course, but yes. certainly this is where you want to be. This is encouraging information. But here's why it really matters. And, and this is why our electoral system, for those of us who are formerly young, who have, you know, the new election system we have in the United States has changed a lot in recent years because of the explosion 
of early vote and vote by mail opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so what it means is the election really is now three weeks long and yeah. not just one day. Right. Why does that why does that matter? Here's why it matters. We have more voters than Republicans, but we have more episodic voters or irregular voters, hmm. meaning that turnout really matters more to us than it does to them. And yeah. there can be a much greater variance in turnout because we have more voters that are not yet regular voters because we have a lot of younger people in our coalition. Mm -hmm. And younger people tend to not really start becoming regular voters until they settle down in a yeah. place where they live, right? And so when you, the story for three weeks becomes, hey, everybody's voting, right? What you're doing is you're putting social pressure on all of these voters mm -hmm. who are not sure if they're gonna vote to go vote. Wow. And that matters a lot more yeah. to us than it does to them. Oh, wow. Right? And so this is a relentlessly positive thing for us that there's gonna be all of this attention wow. for so long on people voting in, in <laughs> unprecedented numbers. Yeah. This, this is a huge benefit to us. And so what it means is for the listeners, you need to vote early. Yeah. The single most important thing you can do to help us win is to vote early. Hmm. It does for three reasons. One is it just helps make the elections run better. And mm -hmm. given the concerns about that that everybody has, yeah. it's just a good way to make it easier for the elections to run. The second thing is, as I said, it creates this bandwagon effect. Hey, everybody's voting, I should vote too. Yeah. And we know this from social science, that this is important. This is not just me spouting off where well, there's data behind this, right? And then the third thing it does is that you know, it allows the campaigns, when you vote, you come off the GOTV list for a campaign. Mm -hmm. So it means they can then move and target lower propensity voters. Hmm. So it actually increases Democratic turnout. Wow. So voting early really matters. And I hope that everyone who's listening today, if you haven't voted, if you don't have a vote plan, vote as early as you can. It can, it can literally create more Democrats, make our election work better, and can be instrumental in helping us win. Well, just FYI, I mean, I live in Maryland, and I had to request a mail-in ballot. I didn't realize that. I realized that in the primary when I was like, the day, you know, here we are a couple of days before, and I'm like, where's my mail-in ballot? And it was like, oh, I had to request it. So for those of you out there, I think it might be too late at this point. I'm not sure. But I have my ballot now, and I'm going to get it done by the weekend so I can get my ballot. Get, in it, the, in get the it done as soon as you possibly can. It yeah. really, I, I can't tell you how important it is that the national narrative is that we have unprecedented levels of voting happening all across the country. And what you're seeing in Georgia is a miracle. It's literally a miracle. I mean, we've seen now in the first three days, 2020 levels of voting, not 2018, not midterm levels, but presidential in the largest presidential turnout in American history. We're seeing levels of voting in Georgia equal to that election. It's almost statistically impossible what we're wow. seeing in Georgia. And so this is so encouraging. And I think just speaking as a, an American, right, not a Democrat or Republican, given all the doubts about our election system and the doubts that have been raised about the integrity of our elections, the idea that so many people are voting now is such an affirmation mm -hmm. of our system that in itself is a massive rebuttal to the assholes who are trying to take down our politics and and our and our electoral and our election systems, and so it's also for me uh, very gratifying and rewarding to see this many Americans taking responsibility for the future of their country and going out and getting it done. So you quote tweeted. Um, I don't know if I'm going to say his name correctly. Charles Minshew. 
Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, he had posted early in-person voting is still happening at a record pace in Georgia. 126 voted. That was yesterday. 126,000 people voted yesterday. An updated record showing the first two days ticking up slightly. Um, and then he gives a comparison of, you know, like 2014. I'm looking at the numbers here. It was how many in person in the contrast. So 2014, which was just abysmal, um, has 67,000. And 2022, so maybe you can explain this to me or, or better than I Yeah, am. yeah. So just very simply is that in Georgia, we're running at presidential level numbers wow. in, a, in, in a midterm election, wow. which is extraordinary. Yeah. And particularly because the 2020 election was a very, very high turnout election. Mm -hmm. The 2018 midterm, the last midterm, was one of the highest turnout midterms in American history. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about a baseline of extraordinary levels of participation that we're matching or exceeding, which has to be deeply encouraging to all of us, both as partisans and also as Americans. Mm -hmm. This is all good news. Um, and, and if we start to see similar numbers in other states, it means, you know, a, a group called Echelon Insights, which is a Republican polling firm, but they specialize in the youth vote. So mm -hmm. they are, they're a very interesting firm in that way. They've projected that we were going to see a, a turnout of between five and 10% higher than 2018. Wow. I will tell you that many of the pollsters who've been polling, you know, their models for this election did not account for that level of turnout. And, and it's just like what happened in the five, House specials that we saw after Roe ended and in Kansas is that, you know, there was no poll. When I was on Joy Reid's show the other night, she had a great graphic which showed that in New York 19, uh, the special that we won in New York, there was not a single public poll showing us winning. There had been like five public polls in that race. Um, and one of them even had us losing by 10 points and wow. we won by two and a half points <laughs> in that race. And so th this is what I mean about people just recognizing that we don't know what's going to happen in this election. Mm -hmm. We just don't know. And, and and it means that all the work that you do, the early vote that you do, the calls that you make, the money that you give, the tweets that you tweet with, the podcasts that you make, all of this matters. Because it, it, this is, you know, 2000 was decided by less than 600 votes in a single state. In 2016, uh, you know, Trump won by mm -hmm. 70,000 votes in three states. These are elections do get decided by a handful of votes. Mm -hmm. And so Everything you do really matters. And, and I just don't think we have any idea. Anyone who believes they really know what's going to happen here <laughs> is full of, you know, uh, you can finish it, right? Um, and, 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 uh, and, you know, they're full of it. And because and, we just don't know. There's too many different things pushing on the, the electorate right now. And so, um, but I'm, I remain optimistic and I'd still rather be us than them. I have a question for you, and I'm not sure if you're going to be able to answer it, but yep. I don't know if you saw last night on Chris Hayes, he talked about how Biden is uh, releasing some of those uh, barrels of oil, the reserves that we yep. have. So he's not going to do that until December. And yeah, Biden is basically saying this is not a politically motivated uh, move to keep prices down. And Chris Hayes is like, yeah, this is a totally politi politically motivated move to keep prices down. But um, regardless how does it does it work that they are because i know he already released some of those reserves and is it that because uh we need more that the prices would go back I and mean, the fact that he's telling yeah. us okay. so look yeah this is a great question and and the important thing is that gas prices are going way down right now yeah. all across the country despite the fact that 
Vladimir Putin and MBS in Saudi Arabia want them to go up in order for us to lose this election. And, you know, we had an intervention by two governments that are very hostile uh, to Joe Biden and, to, and Putin to the whole country. And in order to weaken the international coalition against Russia and because of Saudi Arabia being spiteful about, you know, Joe Biden trying to hold them to account for their outrageous killing of a, an American mm -hmm. green card holder on our own soil, right? Something the president should be angry about. And so, you know, this is the scene as sort of an, an extraordinary intervention. I want to be clear to your listeners is that there's no actual economic reason for them to, when, they, when the economy is declining as it is all around the world, then usually what happens is the oil producers will lower their gas prices in order to keep selling. Mm -hmm. The idea that they're raising gas prices, you know, right while the economy is declining around the world means that this, this was highly unusual. Mm -hmm. And it meant that they were doing this to punish Joe Biden and the Democrats. They were doing it to punish European countries who are opposing um, you know, the, the, the opposing Russia and Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So this was an incredibly hostile uh, move that is outside of the traditional way these things have worked. To intervene in another country in this way a month before a really critical election is not the way that countries usually treat one another. And so, you know, what Joe Biden did, which is what's responsible, is by releasing or announcing he's going to release more oil, it drives the price of oil, the global gotcha. price of oil down. Because gotcha. it okay. increases supply. Yeah. And then the price comes down. And so they, you know, the, the Saudi Arabia and Russia are cutting supply to drive prices up. We're increasing the supply to drive prices down. And right now we're seeing this all across the country that gas prices are coming down. Wow. Okay. Now I want to go back to, I have a couple more questions sure. that kind of not only about um, Georgia, but since I know that Warnock has gotten some better numbers since the scandal of Herschel Walker, you know, all the scandals, the badge, the abortion and all of that. But my question here is, I mean, I'm talking about Georgia, but then I'm just talking about the Republican Party as a whole. As we approach the election, it seems like we're seeing more like the doubling down of hatred, cruelty, anti-Semitism, um, you know, all of this. And do you think and, and I know you said nobody can predict this. But at the same time, do you think that the fact that Republicans are choosing to double down on this is 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 part of the reason we're seeing such high Democratic turnout? It's an interesting question. You know, there's always this debate in our business about, you know, if you're trying to pump up your base, are you actually also pumping up the other side? Mm -hmm. right? And I, I look, I I think that there are so many powerful reasons to vote against the Republicans. And I think that, you know, a majority of the country who voted in the last two elections, you know, voted against MAGA in overwhelming mm -hmm. numbers. There's been two very high turnout elections. So more people have voted against MAGA than any other political movement in American history. And all we need to do as Democrats is to get those people to show up again. Mm -hmm. We don't need to get a single new vote in hmm. order to win this election. Wow. I mean, our job yeah. is actually in some ways easier than their job is, right? They lost the last two elections. Mm -hmm by six points. And so that's why for, you know, they look, there is a lot of struggle in their party right now. I mean, part of what you look at polling across the country, you know, Republicans are, first of all, not their candidates are, are not raising a lot of money. Our candidates have far more money than they have in the close. Hmm. We're going to have more ads on the air in the final three weeks than they will because of our, the fact that candidates get a lower price for ads. So it mm -hmm. means that 
you know, even though they're going to spend more money, we're actually going to put more ads on the air. We also know that the Republicans this cycle have been buffoonish, right? They've lost their primaries. Their candidates aren't raising money. They thought they were going to have a big redistricting win. They didn't. They thought they were going to have a red wave. They didn't, right? And and a lot of the things that they predicted, and they lost the last two elections by six and a half points. I mean, this is not, you know, this is the gang that couldn't shoot straight. And, you know, we shouldn't believe that there's somehow some magic dust that all of a sudden, after sucking and screwing everything up for the last few years, they're all of a sudden going to get their act together. Right. They're probably going to have really bad problems on election day stuff and mm-hmm. GOTV. And Oz just made a big error in his race today. And, you know, the idea that Herschel Walker's campaign is going to have a cogent and capable get out the vote effort. It's just not, it's not, it's not likely, right. Given how crazy they've been. And so I'm, this is another reason why if I could list my reasons for optimism, is that you know we've run really good campaigns we've been winning we've got a strong team running everything they suck right and <laughs> and it's and it's just it's something that we have to stop giving them power that yeah. they don't actually have so right true. and yeah. and this is something as democrats we're very bad at <laughs> we believe a little bit like the wizard of oz right and the truth is we got to pull the curtain back and yes. there's an old crazy man behind the curtain most of the time <laughs> on the Republican side, right? <laughs> so I, I just, I, I've been doing this a long time and I feel good about where we are. Could things be better? Yeah. Could they right. be a lot worse? Absolutely, yeah. right? Yeah. And, but I'd rather have more, you know, our candidates have money. We have good candidates. They've got a lot of crazy candidates. <laughs> they haven't been running good races. They have a lot of people that are not data-driven and are kind of ideological mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and so, you're, or so you're starting to see it in the early vote numbers, right? I mean, we're outperforming them despite everything that's happened. What we are I- outperforming them in the early vote right now, which, again, is another narrative buster yeah. about this race. Because uh, I don't, let me just say one last thing is that the, the most important poll I read this week, and there are some polls that, don't, that were not helpful to us that could make your listeners unhappy, mm-hmm. right? But the biggest likely voter poll released this week was released by Morning Consult on Tuesday. It showed us up three points. It showed us closing the gap on the economy. And it also showed us having a five-point advantage on vote intensity over the Republicans. Mm-hmm. And that number had grown by two points since the last poll and was to the highest level of the year. If we're five points more motivated to vote, given that we have more voters, mm-hmm. we're going to win the midterms, right? So that poll, it by morning consult, and there are other polls that have different data, that was the largest sample, likely voter poll, not a registered voter, likely so more precise, right? Mm-hmm. Poll then, and it was had unbelievably good news in it for us. And where is that motivated data? You know, where's the you know what are we seeing on the ground? Mm-hmm. We're seeing that play out on the ground mm-hmm. in the early votes. So I, I think we have to, you know, recognize that the media is very invested in a very negative narrative uh, about the election for us. We just have to slough it off and you know, stay tough and strong and resilient and just keep fighting and doing everything we can. 100%. And I do have another question, but before I ask that question, what did Oz do? I missed it. They uh, made a a claim that the Democrats had taken the puppies' ads off the air because um, because they weren't working and they had backfired. And the camp, so the Senate Majority Pack, which had done those ads, said that was a lie it had just fallen out of normal rotation and they just bought statewide and put the puppy ads back up on the air <laughs> oh which they think were very effective and they yeah. had they had just what happens with ads is they have a limited lifespan right mm-hmm. there's a point where 
people have seen them too much and then you have to move on to mm-hmm. other things. Mm-hmm. So they just took it and put those ads back up all, on the air all over the state wow. um, and, and embarrassed him. And, and the campaign <laughs> made a mistake, right? What they did was they, they went out on a limb and made a claim that was not, but there was, it was, mm-hmm. those are the kind of amateurish mistakes yes. that campaigns that are not going to win make. Right. Wow. And what happens is just for all of your listeners, Imagine that those kinds of micro dynamics, right, are playing out in every single one of these races all across the country in the final few weeks, which is why we can't really know. I mean, campaigns right. do screw up. Yeah. They make big errors, right? Yeah. Some campaigns execute really well and the candidate does a really good job, right? And so you just those things are unknowable at this point. Yeah. You know, it's just it's not knowable what's really happening in the house races and and I think that, you know, that was a good example for today. Yeah. Well, the last question then, I mean, and I know this is going to sound kind of obvious, but I just want to see if there's any nuance or something that I'm not thinking. But I mean, we talked a lot about Georgia and not, not, you know, yeah, you did mention uh, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania and Virginia. So those are the ones that have a high um, Democratic. Georgia, too. Georgia, Georgia too. too. Um, And so as far as um, something like, you know, a place like uh, Arizona, where Biden won, um, do you think that this like. How confident are you in some states like Arizona? And I'm going with Arizona because Biden won it, but that doesn't necessarily mean it turned blue um, because it could go back. We'll see what happens. But, I mean, do you see that this is playing out everywhere with the Democratic uh, turnout, or is this something that is in those states only that you listed? So the only reason I listed those states, because those are the states that are battleground that mm-hmm. had enough votes that it was meaningful, where the okay. data was meaningful, right? And there are a lot of states that just started or they've only gotten a little bit of vote, right? So I did, I just, anything that looked like it was less than 100,000 votes, I just didn't include because okay. it just, I feel like it's not a big enough sample to really have any kind of, because right. in some of those states, I went and looked in some of those states where there's like 50,000 votes, the numbers can be very skewed, right, and 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 very different than the last two years, because it's just it means that it could be one city, for example, oh, you know, okay. or something. And so, I think the, those states I put up. But the point is, the target early site is really easy to use. Uh, it's it's a pleasure to work with. You can break down and look at, for example, in Georgia, the percentage of the electorate that's black so far, and compare that to the last two elections. Or you can look at eighteen to. 29 year olds and how they're mm-hmm. voting you can break all this stuff down so for data nerds this is a this is a you know this is like um you know uh nirvana <laughs> right for data nerds right there's just an unlimited amount of stuff you can play with and 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 um and i'm going to be doing later today i'm recording a podcast with uh, i've joined this other podcast called deep state radio um where i'm hosting a weekly show through the end of november um, with David Rothkoff and Tara McGowan oh, on cool. the elections. And our guest today is, is Tom Bonnier, and who's going to talk about his site that he just dropped today. Um, and so if people want to listen to Tom talk about it, but Tom tweets, oh, you should follow Tom on Twitter. He's a wonderful guy. Uh, he's a good friend. And he is uh, really also super, super careful. Like he never, he's a data guy. So he has to stay with the data and, and, and he's very honest. And so you should, he did a whole thread today about how to use the site. Uh-huh. And explained, you know, the best way to use the site. But I'd encourage everybody, you know, to pay less attention now to the polls and more mm-hmm. attention to people voting because the data that's the most important data that we ever have 
is about voting and not about polling because voting is, you know, that's the data that matters. And this data is becoming, we just didn't used to have data three mm -hmm. weeks before an election, right? Because wow. we didn't have early vote. And so this is kind of a new thing in the political analyst game. Um, and so far, the data has been very encouraging for us. Well, okay, so I just want to give everybody his info. And his name is, how do you say his last name? Tom Bonnier, and it's B-O-N-I-E-R. He's T-B-O-N-I-E-R, uh, you know, at T Bonnier mm -hmm. on Twitter. He's he's the CEO of a firm called uh, Target Smart. And uh, he he's also a professor at Howard University, teaches courses there. And Tom uh, is... Um, the site is called uh, Target Early, and, and you can just find it by typing in Target Early. It just went live this morning. It's brand new. And they update, last year, last cycle, they updated, they're a day behind, right, because okay. it takes a while for all this data to get ingested, as they call it. And they usually update around 11, between 11 and 2. And so okay. if you go there today, it doesn't have data from yesterday. Um, and so just be aware of that. And, and they make that very clear on the site, I mean, okay. about which days. So they have, for example, it's 20 days out because the data is from yesterday. So they're, they're 24 hours behind, basically. And you just have to know that. Okay. So they only have two days of Georgia, not three days, for example. Right. Wow. All right, cool. Well, um, I'm glad that you listed that. I, I just went and I followed him. So thank you for the uh, suggestion. Yeah. And before I let you go, please let everyone know where to find you. Yeah, so I'm Simon Rosenberg. I'm at, you know, my Twitter handle is Simon WDC, Washington, D.C. And uh, my organization that I run is NDN.org. And, you know, I do most of my writing on Twitter, and um, and that's where you can find me. I over-tweet. I'm happy to admit that. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and it's been a little bit of a problem and for me and my family <laughs> and, uh, and, and my dog. And... Uh, but anyway, that's um, <laughs> that's where you can find me. And I'm also, just for the next few weeks, I'm hosting, guest hosting uh, this podcast called Deep State Radio. Uh, I don't want to promote another podcast because this is such an amazing podcast. Oh, but you're you sweet. Can that's also okay. Find me there every Thursday, Friday. Uh, and I did a podcast with Joe Trippy earlier today, too. And so I, I'm I out there. You, know. you can. And, <laughs> and I will say one last thing before I go. I released something yesterday that was very important to me, which is a presentation I did on the history of the Hispanic vote. Oh, right. Um, yes. It, it is really, uh, it's, I basically created the national strategy towards the Hispanic community and the Democratic Party 20 years ago, along with Bob Menendez and Ken Salazar and a guy named Sergio Ben Dixon. We introduced bilingual polling to the oh. Democratic Party. I produced the first Spanish language ads that were ever produced. Wow. And so, one of my great big projects as a, as a Democrat has been the to develop a national strategy to this very fast growing and consequential vote and i do a presentation that i've never done before that looks back at what's happened over these 20 years and what i conclude and i think your listeners will really enjoy it you can find it on ndn.org is that our strategy towards hispanics has been a remarkable success and that this notion that you know we're in some kind of significant and precipitous decline with hispanic voters is not true and, and I lay out the case in this presentation, and I think everyone will really enjoy it. It's kind of an unlift, uplifting uh, little journey through um, the uh, Hispanic vote over the last two decades. That's good to know, um, and I'm grateful that you did that. Um, all right. Well, it's awesome talking to you. And before I let you go, too, I'm going to tell everybody where to find me, which is author Kimberly yeah. on Twitter. Don't forget the L-E-Y at the end of my name. 
My books are on Amazon. Simon, thank you so much for everything you do. It is truly appreciated by me and everyone else. <laughs> and Kimberly, by the way, I worked at ABC News. Oh, you uh, did? In the, 19, in the 1980s, so I may have met your dad. Oh, that's so funny. About that. We can make that, talk about that another time. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. Awesome. Well, okay, thank you so you much. Bye-bye.